Welcome to the ATL Career Journey Podcast. I'm Paul Varnado, and I'm your host for this podcast that explores the career paths of individuals in a variety of industries and professions. My next guest is Tanya Haswell. In addition to being Mike's better half, I have actually known her longer than Mike. Although her formal training and early work experience was in graphic design, she's made a big impression in the local film industry doing set design, among other things. Her career journey has been a fascinating one, and I really enjoy talking with her about it. I hope you will as well. All right, we are here. So I'm sitting down with Mike's better half. This is Tanya Haswell. Um, Tanya and I have known each other actually longer than I've known Mike. Yeah. So, uh, so certainly longer than I've known Mike. Yes. You may have known Mike before. Well, maybe. Well, yeah. no, I think you and I, because I knew Dale. My freshman year in college. Yep. Yep. That's right. So, yep. Uh, yep my uh, my sophomore year, maybe. Yeah. At Tech, exactly. Yeah. So. So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the time. This is uh, New Year's Eve. Woohoo! The night that we met. Mike and I met. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. You, um, well, you, well, we'll start with where, where we met was, okay. you know, obviously on the tech campus. Yep. You were staying there. Dale. Yep. Morgan at the time. Yep. So, Dale uh, and I grew up together in South Georgia. And then I moved to Noonan. My father got a coaching job there. And um, I went to UGA, and she went to Georgia Tech. And um, I did the social math and realized that if I spent weekends with her, the guy-to-girl ratio was in my favor. Very smart. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's uh, that's how Dale and I stayed very close through college. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how. that's I spent my happiest times were... You know, weekends with her and the group of friends that we had and mm-hmm. um, just great times, good times. So you grew up actually in Vienna. Yeah. At, in the, yeah. Born and raised down there? No, born in Roswell, and then we moved there when I was in third grade. Okay. Um, primarily because my father uh, went, de- went back to school. And um, we moved in with my grandparents, and Dale's dad had a farm down there, mm-hmm. and so... You know, she would. I think that I really think they invited me out to her farm just to get a good laugh because you know <laughs> the city girl coming yeah, in. Yeah, but her dad know. taught me how to drive. You know, I mean, just it was it was good times, happy, very stressful times for my family. Yeah, but the happiest childhood. I met a lot of folks at Tech yeah. that were from South between yeah. Macon and Valdosta, yeah. and some and of the stories nothing. they would tell. Oh yeah, we had nothing. You got creative. Yeah. yeah. You were resourceful. Yep. You know, you yep. didn't have Learned supervision. Learned to ride a horse because that got us from point A to point B. Yeah. It was a horse and roller skates. That's how we, you know, cruised the town. That sounds like a yeah. country song. I know. <laughs> so, uh, too funny. So you have a brother. Yes. Younger brother. Five years younger, yep. Yep. And uh, so y'all have really kind of stayed in, in Atlanta area, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still in Noonan with his family. He mm-hmm. teaches special ed. Um, and his wife is a teacher, so they're both educators. And um, yeah, so we're, yeah, the, he's he's been at it for I guess twenty something years. Yeah. yeah. So moved from Vienna to Noonan, mm-hmm. and then Noonan you graduated high school, mm-hmm. and then you went to UGA. Yep. What'd you study there? I studied art. I was a bachelor of fine arts major, uh, specialized in graphic design. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Noonan, I'd always wanted, I'd always been a creative person, and in South Georgia. There, there were no art programs or anything, so my band director would open up the band room, which was in a trailer, during lunch, and we would go during lunch and, 
and paint. He had like pictures on um, gift card or uh, greeting cards mm -hmm. and things. And we would just paint the pictures on the cards. That's where we learned about color and yeah. you know, things like that. We didn't have really art classes or anything there. And so when I moved to Noonan, they had a fantastic art program. Um, every class I could, this was, this was pre everybody has to take AP classes day. So yeah. if I had an elective, it was going to be an art elective. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was an honor graduate. I did, I was very academically strong, but we were afforded the luxury of exploration when mm -hmm. I was in high school. Yeah. Um, it's not so much that way now, which, you know, I You're grieve, right. I really do grieve that for our kids because it is a shame. they don't have vocational training. They don't have things like that. And mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, I took art classes and I went to an art camp, um, at the Art Institute of Atlanta back in the day. It's now SCAD. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where I got exposed to graphic design as a career. And I had seen, I actually babysat for a woman in Noonan who was a graphic designer and she worked from home and she would like dress in these cool clothes and go meet her clients with her big paste up boards and get approvals. And I thought how cool that she can be at home with her kids and that she gets to go out and do this. And that really was the inspiration for me because I knew that at some point I wanted to be able to dedicate my time to my children if I were to be blessed with having children. Right. And um, so at the time, this is pre-computers. You know, when you were an illustrator back then, you actually illustrated with your hand. There was no program. And right. so... You graphic designers uh, were really the, some of the few people that I knew that actually did work from home and freelance. So that was what inspired me to go into it. Um, it was a job that was an artistic job that actually made money. So that's kind of how I got into it. So I went to UGA. Um, their graphics program still is, but at the time, very competitive because their facilities were so small. They only took... 16 people per semester mm. we were on quarter system there and they only took people fall and um, winter quarter mm -hmm. and so I was one of 16 people that made it in I made it in the first time which was unusual that's amazing yeah yeah it really was and um once you got into that you got a, a foundation of fine art which was great because I think a lot of people who are in graphic design now don't have don't have those fine art sensibilities, you know, don't know the foundations of drawing and composition and things like that. And so I really do value the training that I got there because, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, it taught me how to think and to see things creatively. Yeah. It taught me how to think. It taught me how to problem solve. You know, that skill translates across any industry. It does. Any job. It does. You know, and you will excel if you can do that well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you can, if you can see especially from a creative point of view. And I mean, now um, I'm sort of fast forwarding a little bit, but now I'm in a completely different industry than wasn't really an option then. Yeah. Um, and, and I got into it because I knew how to see things in two dimensions. I knew how to see balance and rhythm and color. And mm -hmm. I just translated those skills to what I'm doing now, which is fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, through college, mm -hmm. did you do any intern work? Did you mm -hmm. have any side That really gigs wasn't a or, thing. Yeah. That really wasn't a thing. Well, I take it back. I did. I worked. 
because I was broke, broke. Yep, yep. So I got a job at the Red and Black, which was the newspaper, mm-hmm. and I did ads. I did paste up ads, so I did tons of ads for bars, and I did um, classifieds and did, you know, just typeset, did classified ads and things like that. And I did that for, let's see, I started the end of my freshman year, and I did it all through my sophomore year. And then my classes got so demanding because with with art classes, you are, it's a studio class. So it's a two hour class, even though it only counts for one one hour. Right. But for every hour you spend in class, you're going to spend at least three out of class every single day. Yeah. So, you know, it was not unheard of to be up till two and three in the morning, pulling all nighters. You know, you're in class six hours a day if you have three classes. Yeah. And so... Then you got to do all the stuff, you know, the assignments and things like that. So it's, you know, when people talk about being an art major, it it was not easy because not only are you spending all of that time outside of class, but then you've got to depend on whether your professor like likes it or not. Mm-hmm. There's no, this is the solution and this is the solution for everybody for all time universally. It's eh, I don't know. Right. So it could be very stressful, but um, but I stopped working. At the Red and Black, my my junior year. One, in fact, one of the last days that I worked was that last week that I worked was when the shuttle exploded. Oh wow! Yeah, so we were, you know, that was that was kind of a, a big big moment. But yeah, so I did that, and then in the summers, which is when I would come to Tech and live with Dale, I lived in a mm-hmm. fraternity house one summer. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but um, I would work at a little graphic design studio in Decatur. Okay, and, so you got some good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- but that was all just me doing it because you had to it wasn't like now where a where and I, I think it's a great thing that they do insist on internships because it gives you a taste of the field before yeah. you're in it but you don't get paid yeah. most of the time yeah so you know that's yeah you're so trading I, I had it but not it wasn't it wasn't necessarily for college credit or it was just gumption yeah so yeah yeah. but kind of formed some of the things about what you wanted to do and and your career is yeah uh got some good variety to it so yeah graduate yep uga in what year 88 okay and then your first job out of school was what as a teacher okay which is interesting because my dad my dad worked in the school system and you know i had all the dreams of going to work for a big ad agency, you know, that's what everybody wanted to do. You mm-hmm. go work for an agency and go do, you know, go do graphic design, whatever. You're building your portfolio. Um, my dad had other ideas, meaning gainful employment very quickly. Mm-hmm. So he he networked within the school system, and they were starting at uh, at a new high school, which this is the high school my brother teaches at now, Um they were opening up a graphic arts program. And um, my dad, not really knowing the difference, thought it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it ain't. Because graphic, <laughs> graphic design is actually d- the design end. Graphic arts is the printing end. You know, and at the time, you know, printing presses, one, two color printing, you know, it wasn't digital. Digital, digital really printing process. Really didn't exist process. then. No, yeah. it didn't. And so there was a whole art form to to shooting film and pasting up film, I mean, uh, you know, uh, stripping film is what it's called. Mm-hmm. There was a whole art form of that that I didn't, I was I was aware of, but I didn't know how to do. Right. And so, um, not only did I have to learn some of those things, but... 
You said the drinking. If you want. Oh, okay. Not only did I have to learn some of those things, I had to, um, I had to, because it was a first year program, write all the curriculum. Yeah. And I had to purchase all of the equipment because the the room, the studio wasn't even built yet. And I had to. Um, we started school, and my area was not even finished. And because I wasn't a teaching major. I had to be evaluated. I had to do um, a provisional certification. And um, so they would come and observe you. And if you had two years work experience, which at the time I did because I worked through school, right? Um, they would observe you and then you would get your certification. Well, they still observed me doing these processes, but I had to do it in classrooms. And I had to change classrooms every period. So I'm trying to teach printing processes with styrofoam uh, trays that I got from the grocery store from the meat department. Oh wow! Yeah, and it, I mean it was just it was insane, and it was, and I was twenty, twenty one years old teaching eighteen year olds, some of them nineteen. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And so, and in the school system where I knew people, that's got to be hard to sort of yeah. Enforce that authority as a teacher. Well, they didn't. And, and to command that presence. Know as a teacher. Like, I would get in oh. trouble for being in the hall, <laughs> you know, or eating at the teacher's table. They looked at me the first day of school when I took my little tray to the teacher's table to sit down. They looked at me like, what are like, you doing Like you're here? playing a joke on them, right? Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> That's was, too funny. It was weird. <laughs> oh, so how long were you so in the teaching? Stressful. One year. One year. Because when I got into it, you know, they told me that I would be able to do freelance work, and, and, and I'm sure you could, but my dream, my desire was always to to be a designer. Mm-hmm. And I felt I felt like I was teaching something I didn't know. Um, plus, I had met Mike, and he lived in Atlanta, and I wanted to work in Atlanta, and I, I just, I really, I really wanted to do the thing that I had been taught to do that I've been yeah. trained to do. Yeah. I did love teaching them. I loved um I mean there's a couple of these stories that, that I loved working with a kid because in vocational education it's mostly kids who are not academically strong. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids that I had, I can remember other teachers looking at me and just shaking their head like, oh my gosh, you've got, you know, name the student. Yeah. Who turned out to be my best student. Like yeah, the two they thrived worst, in that the environment. The two worst in the school at the end of the year when they did my final evaluation, I had to teach these kids along with myself how to work a printing press, and they were the two students that I chose. Wow! To to be this, probably made them feel really good. They were. I have no idea whatever happened to them, but yeah. you know when I when I saw how they responded to just somebody believing in them or seeing something in them, yeah. Or, um, just seeing that they had an alternative. Yeah. And you're right. You said earlier, just it's yeah. a shame that people, we live in a very specialized yes. environment now, yeah. right? You know, AP yeah. classes, straight yeah. into college, come out of college, yeah. straight into work, right? Yeah. And, and your kids and my kids are on that track. I mean, you know, and, and even, that's the thing. Like, I value that, but like, man, it's a pigeonhole. Well, and even in sports, yeah. too, you oh, know? Yeah. It's not yeah. just I play baseball, football, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, whatever. It's, yeah. it's 12 months year-round baseball yeah. or on-season, And you've got to be the best. Yeah. You, like, like, you've got to look at it as if I'm going to be a major league or whatever. And it's like, that's just not the point sometimes. Yeah. And so, yeah. anyway, so I taught for a year, and then I just decided, you know, I can always come back to it. Um, 
it was just such a stressful year. It was a lot to put on the shoulders of a 20-something. But I can tell you, there's not a day that goes by now, mm-hmm. even now, where there's not something that I experienced that year. And sometimes it's just that I got up the next day and, and went back. Yeah. I mean... I've never sweat so hard as I did the first I taught them everything I knew the first day. I told them everything. And by, I went home because I was living with my parents. I went home and I was laying in the floor of our family room and just sobbing. And my dad comes home and he's like, what's the matter? And I said, I don't have anything left to teach them. I told them everything. And he goes, I did, again, I did the fireworks again, finale again, the first day. I was day. a twenty-one-year-old, a twenty-one-year-old female teaching eighteen. He goes, I guarantee you, they didn't listen. <laughs> he said, I think you could probably go over it again tomorrow, and it would be fine. So good advice. Yeah, but it was. I mean, just so much of the stress and of the. I didn't. Re- you don't realize how strong of a person and how strong you are until you look back and go, "Daggum." Mm-hmm. Daggum. Can't believe I, I did that. Yeah, and so yeah. I welcome. And for my kids, I'm like, you know what? You need to you need to go give that a shot. Yeah. Because it's gonna it's gonna test you in every single way, but you'll grow from it. Yeah. You're gonna look like an idiot. But yeah. You'll grow from it. So coming out of education, <clears throat> mm-hmm. what was your next stop? So my next job. My next job was with Binders Art Supply. Okay. So I went uh, went and, and did that until I found a job. Because okay. I was not one of those smart people that found a job while I had a job. Um, it was just hard. It was hard because you had to go and being a teacher, you don't just take days off necessarily. Right, you can't. So you had to have your portfolio and mm-hmm. go again. It was just like, who do you know? And who can you call? And you're looking through the classified ads, you mm-hmm. know, and all this kind of stuff. So. Um, I got a job at Binders because I felt like, at the very least, I could get cheap art supplies. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would meet some people that were creative yeah. or whatever. And so I did that. And then I got a job at um, I got a job at a place called Assistex. And they, they were in... So they did seminars for doctor's offices and hospitals on how to code... For healthcare insurance, and so with these seminars, they had to do all these brochures, mm-hmm. and so I did the brochures. I did all the paste up because you'd have to like change the date and change the. We had shells. I had yeah. to work with the printer on printing shells, and then you know overlays of like different dates and stuff. Because again, it was pre-computer stuff, so you're, you know, you're printing a lot of things with like blank spaces for information, mm-hmm. dates, locations, things, and we would have to, we would have to make those boards just for specific seminars. So that's what I did. Gotcha. And then they moved to San Antonio and wanted me to move to San Antonio with them. But it just wasn't paying enough to go to San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had to find another job. And then my next job was with uh, a guy who turned out to be a cocaine addict. This is when the Olympics... (laughs) came the olympics got announced yeah so that so was this early 90s. 89 right 89 yeah they were seven years prior to the yeah, games yeah yeah the, yeah this was no this was 90 was something. it 90 yeah 90 okay um or maybe anyway i was with him mm-hmm. he was not there and when he was there he was real jittery mm. and his business was going down the tubes i didn't know it but um and he and like they announced the olympics 
and, you know, we shut the office and went down to Centennial, or went down, no, it's not Centennial Park, went down to Underground Atlanta. Yeah. And, you know, and it just, like, he missed a couple of paychecks, which that's that's typical in creative industries. Like, you, it's such a, like, it's, sometimes it's not reliable. I mean, it's just, so I wasn't with him for long, and then I got a job with um, a company called Melita International, mm-hmm. and they were... They were in telemarketing. In fact, the guy that owned the company was a Polish guy, a little Polish Polish guy, went to Georgia Tech, came to Georgia Tech, didn't know English. Wow. And he held 22 patents in held, holds, but the, the technology is not the same, mm-hmm. in automated dialing. So he oh, was wow. the, like one of the founding fathers of all, the people, that, all the people that drive me crazy. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was in their internal marketing department. And that's where I learned a lot about not just graphic design, but marketing too and I really love that I love being with a small company um you know it was that was another situation where there was a person that was my boss that just was cray cray and Mm -hmm. she had a bad day and they let her go (laughs) she yeah she had a bad day and uh (laughs) they let her go and I got her job and I got to make it what it should have been and what I wanted it to be. Sometimes and it was it's so timing, cool. right? Yeah, and it's like having had some of these other experiences, I'm like, heck yeah, I can do it. Yeah. And that's kind of the, that seems to be a very huge pattern for me is mm-hmm. jumping off the cliff and figuring out as I go. Yeah. Which is very different from my husband. Yeah. You know, and yeah. just, okay, yeah, we'll just, we'll just figure this out as we go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do it, you know, and so... Um, I was with them for two and a half, three years until um, we had gotten married, and then um, we got my husband got a promotion in to Nashville. Yeah, and that's when I started freelancing. Okay. From then on. So how did you, how did you, how did you create your path in freelancing? What's that look like? You know, when you when you land day day two in Nashville after unpacking your boxes, how do you go about freelancing in a brand new city? Well, funny story. Um, so I got a job at a print shop there doing, you know, doing design work and stuff. And then I found out I was pregnant. And mm-hmm. so it was like, okay, so I didn't tell him because for a while, <laughs> because I mean, I knew once I, had, I mean, this is, you know, source speedy printing. It was not a career move. I was like, I knew yeah. I wasn't going to be there. I knew, I knew I wanted to be home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just stayed there until after I had the baby and just told him I wasn't coming back. Yeah. And they knew it. But anyway, I told him I wasn't coming back. So I was only there for about six or eight months. I think I did a little stint in, in a daycare facility for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, my first opportunity at freelance was with Julia, your wife. Yep. With Olympics. I mean, yeah. I, had, I had done a few like logo designs and things like that. Um, Assistex had called me to do some things. I did a few jobs with Melita. Just, you know, they would just call me, I guess, you know, because I'd done good work for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I got the opportunity to work with Julia on some stuff. So so tell me about that. I'll, yeah. I'll get your yeah. your perspective, and then I'll, I'll talk to Julia so as well. So Julia and I weren't, we weren't best friends then. We were friends because we were friends through you guys. Right. And I think 
we were visiting with y'all. I don't know what we were. I don't know what the occasion. Y'all were was. still in Nashville. We were in Nashville, and y'all yeah. might have come up to visit with us. I'm not sure. Somehow, like we either got together for a weekend with you guys or something. Yeah. And she was telling me what she did, and I was telling her what I did. And Julia, being the, you know, always working it girl, was yeah. trying to figure out a way to get to get some probably somebody cheap to be honest to do some jobs for them mm-hmm. which that's okay because delta cheap is tanya rich mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and so it's your perspective. yeah yeah it's all about perspective <laughs> and so she had me do a couple of things and i really enjoyed it because by that time i'd had uh, my oldest and you know i would work during his nap and you know and i really loved it and apparently i did a good job because she she hired me to do some other things and it was great because she had this huge ad agency doing like the overall look feel stuff and then i could take those looks and modify and adapt them to some of the smaller projects and this was delta's olympic sponsorship for the atlanta games in 96 yes that was the program yes so it started with that and then um they their sponsorship program included bringing guests in for the month of the olympics this is pre-social media. So they wanted to keep the guests informed. They wanted it to be fun, little informative articles. Julia and I kind of got together and brainstormed on what this could look like. Mm-hmm. And so I moved into a hotel. I was six months pregnant. Julia was six months pregnant because I got we got pregnant because we heard y'all were pregnant. <laughs> and we were like, okay, <laughs> us too. <laughs> Mike and I made a pact when yeah. we, we were yeah. still in constant. Said, hey, yeah. wouldn't it be funny if our wives were pregnant, pregnant at the same time? Pregnant at the same time. Oh, uh-huh. joy, oh, joy. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, that was my second child and um, your first. And so, you know, they moved a bed out of the hotel room and put this copier in it that was the size of a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Color copier. And I had my little computer and I had created some shells, you know, because I knew how to do that. And I would just put in, like we had, we had generic articles about the Olympics. We kind, we knew what events were coming certain weeks, so we'd pre-done mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. And that was literally just me and Julia. I mean, I think, I don't think she had a lot of people on her end weighing in on it. It was just things that you had some autonomy and just ran with it. We and did it, and um, and both of was, you were. Dive into the the deep end anyway. We were very extra. Yeah. (laughs) And and, um, so it was so much fun. And so every day I would would customize the information for the guests for the the next day. Mm -hmm. So like if it was Monday, I was working on Tuesday's newsletter. And then Monday night they had somebody go in and tuck it under the doors I mean, again, this is pre-social media. Yeah, yeah. Tuck it under the tuck it under the doors of all the guests, and two hundred. Yeah. Now there was one night that there wasn't a person available, and I had to do it myself. I remember that? I've never been so miserable and so <laughs> sore I could hardly walk the next day because again I was pregnant. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was such an awesome experience because you know Julie and I really formed not just a friendship but but just this respect for each other Mm -hmm. you know i mean i'm not gonna speak for her but i just saw how she did things and saw what a go-getter she was is how smart she is and just leached onto that thing because i'm like man if i can ride these coattails you know Mm -hmm. we're good and um just fun she just you know very high stress job but she always had this perspective of 
you know, I mean, it is a big deal, but in light of everything, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world, you right. know? And, um, so I've always enjoyed working with her. And at the end of the Olympics, um, I had like budget left over. And so she and I decided to create these legacy books. And so we created these huge binders with everything that we did, you know, and, um, she gave one, I think, I don't know, to some of her, like I kept one, she kept one, and think, I think we did like five or six of them. Mm-hmm. Then she had Kyle, and yep. she was still with Delta, but, you know, decided staying home, I think, was was probably in the best interest of everybody. And so she and I, again, her being the go-getter that she is, had all these connections, we started doing um, contests. So they would enter these contests uh, for industry, I guess, uh, credentials, you know, so like, like in-flight magazine and things like that. So they, they had developed all of these in-flight, again, this is pre-9-11. Mm-hmm. So they had developed all of these like wine programs and spa cuisine programs. And, you know, these were great incentives for the business traveler. Yeah. And so we, they would enter these programs. Well, with these programs came a presentation. And so we would create these elaborate presentations. I mean, you know, I went, we went to, I went to London, because Julia was having a baby, another baby. And I went to London and, you know, everybody else is showing up with like a binder. Mm-hmm. Well, we created a spa. Like I brought candles. I mean, I had, you wouldn't believe what I was able to carry on that plane. Again, pre-9-11. <laughs> Pre-9-11. Pre-9-11. No yeah. one questioned it. Three duffel bags full of candles and fountains and the wired stuff and battery. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Crazy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we just, we, that was, to me, that was one of the most fun times because we, we would have, we had our kids and I'd bring my kids over to her house. I've got a picture of you strolling, I think, Kyle and Tyler and Thomas in the cul-de-sac, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we just worked hard. Yeah. We just worked hard, you know, yeah. ate good, worked hard. You know, up at Kinko's, she's lactating all over the place. I mean, it's just, we, that's still some of the funnest times because we were just, we we're just trying to make money. Yeah. We some stuff that we love. We made good money. Yeah. Made Delta money. Yep. And it was just a good time. And it just really, it showed me that, you know, if you just put your mind to it, you can do any damn thing you want to do. Well, it's, that's a great perspective regardless of what you're doing, you know. Um, and who would have known that that was even an op? It's just... You just see an opportunity, and right. you go for it. And so, yeah. so you're working at Speedy Printer, yeah, and then goes. to to, mm-hmm. to actually doing some of this stuff in London, right? You know, yeah. you can't ever sort of predict that, and right? Yeah, she couldn't go because literally, Claudia was. It was it was in Dece- Claudia was like just born. Mm-hmm. What's her birthday? December. December ninety-seven. Uh, the it's like the first part of December, though, right? December first. Yeah. 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 So this this thing was like right at, like literally. Yeah. I mean, when I say she's lactating in Kinkos, no joke. Oh, I know. We've joked about yeah. that. That's that's yeah. funny. Yeah. So phase two, you wound up, you know, after that. So, mm-hmm. um, I I remember you getting really involved in some of the churches that you'd belong well, to. Well, we moved to Connecticut. Okay. So we moved to Connecticut, and I had by that time child number three, mm-hmm. and um, I did some freelance work up there. It was much harder there because in Atlanta, in the South, like Mom's Morning Out is like a bit is a big thing. Mm-hmm. But up there, you were either full time childcare, which was super expensive, or there was no option. Yeah. So I wasn't able to really 
go out and meet with clients as much as I could. I mean, I had I had a neighbor across the street that would watch my kids if I if I needed her to, but mm-hmm. she had she had multiple kids as well, and so yeah. I try to trade off. And um, you know, back in the day, you know, m- my Mac was the size of this sofa. It had the big deep screen, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you had to continue to upgrade software because there was no licensing. You had to buy the software. Yeah. And upgrade it every time. I have like 56 floppy disks and install uh, it. Yep, yep. And so it just got to be where um, we were moving back to Atlanta and we just made the conscious decision that, okay, the $5,000 to upgrade this computer and the software. Um, I now had four kids and the amount that I was charging per hour, I couldn't give the kind of service that I felt like that merited. And so yeah. I just kind of made a decision to kind of get out of freelance graphic design. And so I started um, doing some volunteer graphic design for a church that we were going to, which led me into a whole nother, whole nother thing. Yeah. So again, yeah, career transition, yeah. right? So, yeah. so, so tell me about how I you got start, started doing that. I start working with this church and um, I thought I was gonna, going in to be to just do graphic design. And this um, worship pastor invites me to brainstorm just creatively. Well, I i mean, I had never been in a church that did things like that. Mm-hmm. And I can remember sitting around with these people and we're brainstorming on like series, titles, and things we can do. And it was like, it was like somebody opened Pandora's box because I... For you? <laughs> Yes, I I was pitching everything from sky dancers to <laughs> you know to fantastic voyage you know to I mean it was like I was glistening by the time this brainstorming session was over and just you know just creative things that we could do and because I had no I didn't have any preconceived idea of what it was supposed to look like. I just like spewed everything I had. You didn't limit yourself to, oh, that's a dumb idea, or we would never do that. I didn't you just know. went with it. Right? I thought they wanted Tanya. <laughs> that's what I thought. When you invite Tanya, <laughs> you get Tanya. You get Tanya. <laughs> and so the next day, this guy, this I went to do something. He goes, "Wow, like that was one of the most creative sessions we've ever had. And would you consider being my creative director?" I'm like, sure. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just, it was one of those, one of those moments where you just don't, you, and this, this is a pattern too, where I would go into a situation and I don't know that there's rules to play by. Yeah. And so I, I just go in and bring it up mm-hmm. and it's like, black, you yeah. know, and, yep. and, and you look around the room and it's like deer caught in the headlights. And that, for me, is the most exciting place and the scariest place because you feel like, oh, crap, I'm too much. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. like oh, my I know where the line is and I'm I crossed it, right? too big for the room yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah, and so I started doing creative direction and I had to kind of figure it out as I went. And really what it involved is just bringing artists and creative people into... A worship setting, you know, we we think of people like musicians who use their gifts. I'm a Christian, and so you know, worship worship 
in traditionally if you could sing mm-hmm. or if you could play an instrument. Now, I can't sing, and I was 20-second chair flute. And so <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And so there weren't a lot of alternatives for other creative people. And so how do we right. begin to incorporate some of those? And that was at a time when drama, you know, drama was real big. It was before satellite churches, so it was like one church. And yeah. it was really easy to execute those. So I started doing some stage design with that, which I'd never done before. So this would be just a design for any particular worship service or were some of these like it was every, themed message like coming up for, like you know. Like it got to a point where we were, you know, I got to be part of crafting kind of, teachable moments i mean obviously the pastor is the one who's ultimately responsible for what he wants to teach but Mm -hmm. i also i'm very process oriented and so we had we we developed like a yearly calendar of okay we're going to do a series on this and a series on you know parenting and a series on david and a series Mm -hmm. on you know um discipleship and so when we would know those things ahead of time i could get a group of people together and go hey we're doing a series on David. What are some creative ways, you know, if we're going to look at Psalms, like what are some creative ways that we can that we can talk about, you know, that we can teach Psalms? And so we would do some spoken word things or we would do, you know, so when you knew ahead of time you're going to be working on a series, you could create dance elements and drama elements and um, um prayer events where you know there's like stations where people can go so it it allowed us to really um incorporate all the aspects of creativity mm-hmm. because being a create being a creator you know you get to you're uniquely created to i think display that facet of god's character mm-hmm. and so we really got to play in that playground a yeah. lot and so that kind of was where i landed for a very long time until I was at another church, and then churches started doing multi-site um, campuses. So you might have four or five campuses. Well, if you created an element like a, let's say, a painting live, you're painting live on stage while people are playing music or whatever, but you've got four campuses that want to do the same experience, mm-hmm. you would either have to delay, which they did this, delay campuses a week. So they so stagger it. Yeah, so yeah, stagger one person it. doing it four separate or times. You'd have to start teaching people how to do how it. to do it. Yeah, like so, and then when you get to six and eight campuses, like it begins to be very difficult to do those live elements. So they started doing more video, mm-hmm. and that's how I got into film. Gotcha. Yeah. So all of a sudden, instead of doing a drama, you know. It sounds very 19, you know, early 2000, but instead of doing drama on stage, they're doing a video, but they still need a set. Mm-hmm. Unless they're going to go on location, they still need a set built. Yeah. And so that's where my graphic design stuff came into play, Is and even doing set design for, like, vacation Bible schools. You know, I didn't know how to do that. I've mm-hmm. never done theater, theater set. I've done theater before, but right. not, not as a set decorator or designer. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, as soon as I took a photograph of the stage... And put it down and put some tracing paper over it and start sketching what I want. It became it became a layout. Yeah. And and because I knew design and I knew same you know, concept, this, just different application. Right? Yeah. And so I would um, I would I remember the first vacation Bible school we did this huge giant um, um, we did Tower of London and I wanted it I drew it curved 
and I so I meet with a construction team. These guys build houses for a living, and they're like, okay, well, they start building it, and it's straight. I was like, well, no, like I want it curved. And they were like, well, the Tower of London isn't curved. I said, well, but it kind of is here. Like we're suspending reality. Yeah. And so they said, we can't build it curved. And I said, well, yeah, you can. You're a builder. And I said, if you go to Walt Disney and go to Toontown, none of the houses have straight roofs. They're all curved. Yeah. Surely you can do that. And they they all look around like, well, she's got a point. <laughs> and so it was always funny because I always wanted to find that one or two construction people who didn't have a square and plumb world, mm-hmm. who could be kind of a Tanya to lumber translator. And so I always, you know, if I could find that person to work with that didn't diminish, because a lot of people, especially if they're numbers people or, you know, those types of people, they'll look at creative people like, you know, like, what are you talking about? Right. But if they can look at it and go, okay. I see what I'm saying. I see what she's doing, and we can do it this way because you want it to be safe. Mm-hmm. You want it to be, you know, all those things. And that, all of a sudden, that three-dimensional world, when I looked at it two-dimensionally, I could I could see it. And that went back to 1980-something. Yeah. Doing a magazine layout. Interesting. You know? Yeah. So, you know, my subject is here. I've got here, here. You frame it. You do yeah. Same thing. And yeah. so as I got into film and video and whether it was an on location or whether it was, you know, once, once, and I'm surprised at how many people now will go do a set, but it's not dressed for the camera. Mm-hmm. It does not matter what's, what's outside of what I see yeah. in the frame. Yep. You know, and no, I wouldn't decorate my house that way, but it looks damn good next to your actor. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't care if a lamp's lighting another lamp. It's cool. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so, you know, just things like that, 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 again, going into an area where I don't know the rules. Yeah. You know, I'm in an, I mean, I'm 50 something years old <laughs> in an industry where 20 somethings, you know, they're coming out of school knowing this stuff and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It just looks good. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So you you've, you you did um, set design and a lot of creative things for a couple of different churches right. in Atlanta. But at some point, you got a call from somebody saying, we need something for right. uh, um, History Channel something. Right. Is that right. right? All right. Tell me about that. So how that worked was um, at this church where I did all these creative things for service, there was a group of people on staff. I was volunteer, contracted or whatever. These guys were producing story-based film that was used as part of, like, maybe a teaching. You know, I said if, if Jesus had been alive today, he maybe wouldn't have told parables. He would have created a film. And so it was, it was, a, it was a metaphorical way of presenting um, a complex subject or a truth. And so mm-hmm. these guys, Whitestone Motion Pictures... These guys are masters at it, and um, they're young. They were, at the time we started, they were in their early to mid-20s. Well, they go off and formed their own production company, as did several people. Several of these young people that I worked with kind of went out and started doing their own thing. Well, they called me because they had worked with me before. Mm-hmm. I guess they liked what they did, you mm-hmm. know, and I was a good hang. So, yeah. you know, I didn't act as old as I was, or am. And so they called me. And I get to go do this, and I and I get to learn. Now that's the thing is like if you ever stop learning, yeah, you're just done. What's the point? You're stuck. Yep. And so I get to learn, but you know, there's so many insecurities 
that go along with that. Like, you know, to this day, I never really know what I'm doing. I just know what I've done. Right. So I have a pain file that I'm willing to share mm-hmm. with anybody who will ask. Yeah. And so that's how that's how I've gotten into it. Now I've like joined the union and you know, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. I mean, I'm very fortunate to, you know, be in a household where we have a primary income. So I, I have the luxury of we need my income, but I have the luxury of being able to explore some of those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm very blessed and very thankful for that. It keeps me happy, which means it keeps everybody happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love the challenge. Um, but I get to work with a lot of young people. I get now, you know, I'm like, I'm groovy Aunt Tanya, you know? I mean, I get to work with people that are my kids' age now. Yeah. You know, they're in their early 20s and they're just getting started. And, you know, now the way that I look at it is I go back to that teacher who sees people come on set and you can see in them that they want more and those are the ones I go for yeah they're hungry show me show me <laughs> like like you show me something yeah and I will I will tell them anything they want to know I will pour there's no industry secret here I mean because honestly you know if somebody does something better than me great you can get that job I'll get the next one in line because mm-hmm. you're busy yeah you know I yeah. mean to me there's no competitiveness it's just so I get to kind of go back to that that teacher mode a mm-hmm. little bit and I love I love that. Yeah. Especially where there's PAs, you know, the production assistants that are there given their time. And I actually just worked on a feature and they were short two people and I recommended two people that I have worked with that were PAs on a set um who just every time they didn't have something to do, they weren't even in my department, they would come up to me and say, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? Yeah. Is there anything I can do? That to me says you're eager. So even if you don't really feel it, act like it. Yeah. And you'll get a job. Yeah. So what, how would you describe your job? Is it, does it different for every project that you get it involved is. in? So I tend, I, I take, I take roles that, um, I haven't worked on like one of the major Hollywood productions. Those I, I'm in the union, so I could, but those are just machines. I mean, everybody because it's union, everybody has a very specific job. Mm-hmm. If you know, if your job is to hand somebody a prop, then nobody else touches that. It's your job. You know, there's no like because there's so much responsibility with mm-hmm. it. Hence the Starbucks cup in the Game yeah, of Thrones. You yeah. Know? So. That's, you know, somebody, somebody didn't do something they're supposed to. But, um, but I love to work with independent filmmakers right now. I mean, I'm not saying I would say no to a job like that. I just haven't had that opportunity yet. But I love working with independent filmmakers. Maybe it's a director's first or second feature. Um, the crew, the budgets are small, so the crew is typically small. Um, I typically go in as production designer because I want to take the highest title I can. Because in, in film... It's all about credits. There's an IMDb page, mm-hmm. and it's all about credits. And so if you get a credit as a set decorator on a small film, then your next goal is to get maybe a credit as a set decorator on a big film. You want or, progression, right? Or a production designer on a small film. So you always – there have been times that I've done jobs for free to get the credit, mm. especially if it's, if, it's, if, it's a, if it's a script that's kind of well, – I don't even care about that as much, but, like, if it's – 
if it's a short shoot and it's not too many days, or I've come in for two or three days on a shoot just to do like a big scene, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you know, we'll give you credit. And I'm like, well, what credit are you going to give me? Well, what credit do you want? Well, I want set designer. I mean, okay. Yeah. But then I have a set designer credit yeah. or set decorator credit on a feature. Mm-hmm. And I only had to work three days for it. Yeah. So if you're strategic about how you give your time, mm-hmm. you know, but I only do that you know, once for one director. I mean, I'm not going to come back and do it for free for him or her right. the second time. Right. So, you know, I try to be very strategic, but it lies mostly in art department. So production design, which is overall look and feel. Like you get to speak into the way it looks. Like it's, 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 it looks the way it looks because someone designed that look. They picked the color palette. They might've worked with wardrobe and spoken into that. Right. Um, hair and makeup, some, um, definitely art direction, you know, prop building. I mean, anything that has to do with set you're responsible for. And you get credit for things like, I mean, if you go film in an antebellum house, you get, you get credit for something that's, it's already there. Yeah. You know, then you might have to go build a bar in three days. So, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a, but there's an overall tonality to it that you're working with the director. It's very clear. And the the director of photography and production, because production is money. You got to stay within budget. And I love that. I love the collaborative, the collaborative nature of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah that's awesome so what do you look for with new people coming on the set do you have some um hiring responsibility do you kind of staff some of that as production design well and and even as as set decorator that's a key position so Mm -hmm. you would hire your assistants yeah so it's all about networking again i've taken jobs for for free or for low pay just to get into another circle of people. Mm-hmm. You know, you tend to work with the same people a lot. It's very, yeah. you know, and so if I'm going to build a bigger network, I got to go work with some people I don't know. Yeah. So I'm willing to go in and do either a lesser role or do a role for maybe not quite as much or something like that just just to be around another group of people because right. if you do a good job, you know, that and that's so that's the key. I mean, when people when when, when I'm hiring somebody, availability is a big thing. But um, I usually look at people who think you you've got to have the skills to do the job. Mm-hmm. If you're going to hire somebody to be the art director, which is the person who is going to be building things, is going to be you know spray painting this or doing that or cutting signs or you know, hey, make a to- you know, make make a toilet flange out of a paper towel holder because this thing doesn't connect to the wall. We've got to make it. I mean, that's some real MacGyver stuff, right? So <coughs> how do you so. know, you know, when you look at someone's resume, how do you know if they can do you what don't. you just described? So You don't. And so, you know, the perfect example, this, so I was on this job, and the, the, I mean, when I say toilet flange out of a paper towel holder, it's exactly That's a real happened. example, right? Yeah, so I had to build a bathroom. It was a, um, we, the whole, the whole film took place in a, in a in a bathroom, um, a commercial restroom, and um, we had to figure out how to make sinks work with no plumbing. So we had to do grab buckets with hoses coming down and all this kind of stuff. Well, th- we had to build walls that um, that flew that that went away so that you could film, you know, in those areas. Yeah. And so one of the toilets, we decided to film in it because the other one got bloody but um so we had to film in that one but the toilet didn't connect to the wall it was a close-up shot so i go to one of the pas 
and there were two or three that had just started I could just see that they were hungry like there was one or two literally that like, they sat on the couch the whole time and it's like I don't know act busy like yeah. you know don't and do not say you're bored yeah. oh my god like do not say you're bored I don't care how bored you are but that's what you, you've, you've heard people do. Because if you're bored, you're boring. Yeah. If you're bored, you're not working hard enough. Yeah. Not in that. These are 12 and 14 hour days. You know, and there's I'll plenty of work to be done, steps. right? I, I got 19,000 steps in a room the size of this hotel. A 20 by 20 room. 19,000 wow. steps one day. Wow. So don't tell me you're bored. Yeah. There's plenty to be done. Yeah. And so I always look for that. I always look for somebody with some gumption. Mm-hmm. And so there was this one girl who was just adorable. And she was always coming up to me asking me, you know, if, if I need anything. And I said, hey, do you, do you want to kind of, like, just sort of shadow me in art department? She wanted to be a writer-director, because they all do come out of film school. Is that I'm it? be a writer-director. <laughs> and it's like, well, first got to kind of be a getter and doer. Yeah. You know, like, if I'm a writer and director, I kind of want to know every aspect mm-hmm. of the business, because... It makes you, you a better have, director, you too, to, well, right? You'll have to write to a budget sometimes. Yeah. I've been involved in films that were this, and because they have this budget, this scene gets modified. I mean, yeah. you, you got to be smart. That's reality. You don't get to dream too much. Mm-hmm. Dreams are free. Films are not. <laughs> and so, you know? And so this girl, I said, you want a challenge? And I knew we had a little bit of time, you know? I said, And she's like, yeah, what? I said, so this toilet does not connect to the wall. And I said, we need to make the toilet connect to the wall. And I said, you've got, you can look in my kit, and you can look all around here, and you've got 20 minutes. It's an Apollo 13 challenge, Exactly, exactly. That's my favorite movie for that Mm -hmm. reason. Yeah. They went to the moon in a Jiffy Pop container Mm -hmm. and had to figure out how to breathe. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, I'm amazed by the creativity and the engineering is because they're so close together. I said, you've got 20 minutes. And so... She was like, oh, my gosh, like, do I, I, where's Home Depot? I said, you don't have time for Home Depot. Mm-hmm. We don't have the budget for a toilet flange. Yeah. Like, figure it out. And so she's looking around, looking around, and I was like, okay, you need to find something round. Find something round that's about the same size. Mm-hmm. Have you been to the bathroom lately? And so I'm starting to give her hints. And finally, she found some metallic silver. Um, it's um, It goes on, like, air conditioner. It's oh, not, the insulation wrap? Yeah, insulation. Yeah. It's not, duct tape is something different. But, I know what you're but it, about, yeah. it actually is duct tape, but it's like metallic silver. Yep, yep. And she took a toilet paper, a toilet paper holder, put it in metallic silver, mm-hmm. you know, did like did another one, because it had to look like the other ones. Yeah. And I was so proud of her. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I walked her through it the first time, but I was like, to me, that that's a lesson to give to a film class yeah like you've got four things and now you have to you've got a toilet flusher and a you know popcorn bag build me a train whistle mm-hmm. you know and i mean it's just yeah that's creativity yep you know to me that's the essence of creativity and that that's that a very real story i had to build a train whistle out of toilet parts well you've you know you said some things um in this interview just about you know you you didn't have, you didn't put any limitations on right. yourself with ideas. You've jumped in without, you know, knowing. Look, I don't, I'm not the expert here, Scared but I'm going to give death. it a try. Every you time, you know, yeah. fake it till you make it yeah. mentality, fake it right? Till you make it. And your wife is like that. Yep. Yeah. And it's it it's it's a rare quality because not yeah. everybody's comfortable doing that. And I'm not comfortable doing. And it. And that's just it. It's you. 
you walk through that fear and whatever's on the other side is usually something good. Yeah. You know, but it's yeah. getting I through that. I pray all the time, Lord, please do not humble me in front of 10,000 people. Yep. You know, like, yep. please don't. You know. So given all that, if you were to give yourself some advice, mm -hmm. a 20-year-old self, you know, um, where you are now and what you've kind of seen over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, what, what, would, you, what would you say that would be different, if anything? Well, it's interesting because... I, you know, I, my daughter is 20 mm -hmm. and I find myself saying to her, if I could give, if I could tell my 20 year old self something, it'd be, and it's usually along the lines of just try it. Yeah. I mean, really, if it's not illegal or immoral, just do it. You and know, maybe it's like reinforcing try, what you've try done. Try the ox tongue on the cruise. I mean, you know, it's free. <laughs> if you don't like it, you know, eat it. I mean, if, you know, if try it. Try try escargot. Yeah. Try it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's the biggest thing is don't. I think especially our culture now, we're so into labels. We're so into oh, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm a millennial, mm -hmm. I'm a snowflake, I'm a this, you're that. Yeah. And okay, you know boomer. all the alphabets and all the stuff, and it's like we so we so want to label people and and things, thinking that it's giving them an identity, when yeah. really it's taking it away. Right. Because all of a sudden that becomes a pipeline. Yeah. You know, and like. Being an artist, people are somehow surprised when I can think my way through a process. And actually, yeah. I'm really good at it. You know? It, it, labels are really easy to sort of summarize quickly in today's attention yeah. deficit world. Yeah. Uh, we know, um, Julie and I were watching, we were talking over the holidays about Carol Burnett's show. Yeah. One of my favorite shows and the growing ensemble. up. That, yeah. Yep. So, you know, it, they, they filmed it live, kind of like SNL. And we were talking about the dentist scene. You remember that one? Mm hmm. And it was Harvey Corman who came in with a toothache. Mm -hmm. And Tim Conway was this dentist who was brand new. And the skit was, we played it on YouTube, the skit was like 10 or 11 minutes yeah. long. That's a long time for a skit, right? And yeah. so the buildup, and we had told, we were howling when we were telling this thing. We, we just got to watch it, right? Let's get, set the kids down. You know, and they're all mm -hmm. early 20s, you know, late teens. And there's a setup time to that. And they struggled yeah. with just watching it. Because normally they're not sitting still for more than two or three minutes before... Yeah. They pick their phone up or they're doing something different, you know, and it's it's a different mindset now. So Well, and I mean, gee, I don't know if you remember this, but when we used to watch twenty four, we'd have yeah. to wait till Monday night came. Yeah. And watch it. Like yep. you didn't binge. Yeah, there was you know? none of that. And so the the mentality now is is label and and and, and, and just consume. Yeah. Instant and, gratification. Yeah, and so yeah. I would say do the do the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like. You know, again, I've talked to my daughter. We were on a cruise, and the ox tugging thing is a real story. We were yeah. sitting down at dinner, yeah. and I said, you know, you can eat most a lot of this stuff at home. Like, this is already paid for. Mm -hmm. Like, try some new things. And it was really, and she's not wired like me. She's more wired like my husband. Mm -hmm. She's very, she likes to plan. She thrives in um, just kind of like guardrails. <laughs> there's and, some risk management going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some calculated. There's uh -huh. nothing. And I'm like, you know what? First of all, there's not a single person on this boat that knows you besides me. Mm -hmm. And so I just got to see her, our relationship really blossom, but I got to see her. It was just the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see her really embrace Oh, maybe I'll do karaoke, but she, you know, she wasn't eighteen yet, so she couldn't get the yeah. bar. But like, oh, okay, maybe I'll try this. And and what was really cool is I is I really began to appreciate 
where she was and her desire for safety. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that about my husband too. Like the his he is um he's he's a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, and I appreciate that. Um and I think she began to appreciate my willingness to just, you know, whatever. Yeah, just try it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put my life in danger. I'm not going to do anything that's going to put my reputation in danger. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I might smoke a cigar in Red Square. Yeah. You know, in Moscow. Like, yeah. what the heck? It's a great story. Right. So generally speaking, <laughs> if it's going to make a good story, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and I would say for young people, just... Um, Ask questions. Yeah. You know, you don't know it all. Yeah. I mean, I've learned to really value um, young people. Like, I talk to young people all the time and say, okay, so, especially, you know, I have three sons. And so, okay, what are the things that your mom does that really irritate you? Like, I'm learning from them. Yeah. Okay, so, I'm a mom. Like, how can I have, how can I, how can I, how can we have, how can I have the conversation when I'm having with you with my kid? Right. Like, what does that look like? Right. You know, and so I'm, I'm starting to ask questions of them and make room for them um, while I would like for them to have respect for what we as a generation or we as adults have walked through. Like, yeah. we've, we've figured some things out. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, I know it's okay, boomer. I'm not a boomer. I'm just a mature Gen Xer, <laughs> but I'm not a boomer. So don't call me that. But like, we figured some things out, right. you know. And so, if as if as you know, inter interracially, intergenerationally, inter you know, socially, economically, whatever, mm-hmm. if we can look at another person and respect where they are and ask ask questions, yeah, be curious. Yeah. You know, I, love, I know that's a long answer, but like I look for that in people when I'm on set with people. Yeah. And I will hire you if you're curious. Yeah. You show up on time. Don't come rolling in on time. Yeah. 15 minutes early. Mm-hmm. Show up on time. Work your ass off. Yeah. Do not let me see you acting like you ain't got nothing else to do. Not on a film set, but not anywhere, really. Right, right. Ask questions. Yeah. Be curious. Yeah. You know what? Buy me coffee. You will get everything I know. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, two things. One, this this uh, lesson from Stephen Covey, seek first to understand mm. and then to be understood. Mm-hmm. I use that a lot. Oh, and wow. the second part is, you know, people talk a lot about passion. You oh. know, I want to see somebody with some passion, which is great, but it's hard sometimes to find that, especially in a, in a mean, mean, you know, a, a tedious kind of menial yeah. type of a role. Um, but I'm looking for somebody who's willing to learn, you know, passion, great, but learning better. Passion a lot of times is misused because passion is just a, you know, that's a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I look for people with just, I've always said, you know, you're very blessed if you are working in the job that gives you passion. Mm-hmm. 90% of the world goes to work every day and they, they hate their job. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't imagine the guy standing on the side of the road, flipping a sign, slow down or stop in 90 degree weather, spreading asphalt, is living his passion, is working yeah. his passion. Yeah. But, you know, maybe 
outside of this job, he has he he volunteers with an organization or yeah. he's a baseball coach for youth league right, or he's a, right. you know I, I think I think it's really great if you can find a job that is your passion mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that's yeah. blessed but I haven't had to provide for my family the same way my husband does and you haven't always had that either no. so sometimes it's not like no. if I don't have this now I'm a failure but Put some things together. I raised four kids. I was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, yeah. I, you're doing what you do, and that's not always my passion. I mean, I, I definitely wanted to do that, but that's not that's not an easy job. Right. You know, and it's yeah. like I just got to grow that. I had a I had a vision of okay, when my kids leave home, which they all have now, what is there? What do I have to bring to the table? Because I if mm-hmm. I'm not grown and developed myself as a human as a right. person yeah like i will crumble into a puddle yeah when these when i've worked myself out of the job of raising these kids you mm-hmm. know so that was always fear-based but that was always you know there but i yeah. I, I look for people who just work ethic yeah i mean if you've got passion that's great i just really want you to work hard because that's yeah. what you're getting paid to do yeah you know i i feel very cynical about that but i mean if you've got passion great passion don't pay the bills yeah I mean, I love it if you're excited about what you do and if this is your passion. But if it's not, just, you know, show up on time, work hard. Yeah. You know, stop complaining and get off your phone. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> you know. Good, good words to live by. Yeah, look up at the lunch table and talk talk to the person who's been in the business for 20 years. Like, get get off your phone. Yeah. And talk to the person who's been in the business for 20 years, even if they're hard to talk to. Yeah, there's a lot to learn from that, right? Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks, yeah. Tanya. Thanks yeah, so much. Good it's stuff. been it's been good to kind of hear about your journey. You yes, got a lot of good things. Tell it. That's, well, that's good. awesome. Well, thanks again, and and we may have to do a follow up after uh, after this year. Yay! All I right. hope so. Thank you. Yes. All right. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.